welcome to The Rob Burgess Show. I'm, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 217th episode, our guest is Melissa Meritz. Melissa Meritz has worked as an editor at Spin and Rolling Stone, a staff writer for Entertainment Weekly and the Los Angeles Times, and a supervising producer on HBO's Vice News Tonight. She was a founding editor at New York Magazine's Vulture website. She lives in Portland, Oregon with her husband and two kids. Her first book, All Right, All Right, All Right, The Oral History of Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused, was published November 17th, 2020 by Harper. And now on to the show. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course. Yeah, thanks for asking and thanks for reading the book. Oh, no problem. It was it was a great pleasure. Um, but uh, just for to start off with, for people who don't know who you are, could you go ahead and just introduce yourself real quick? I'm Melissa Meritz, and I'm the author of All Right, All Right, I Write. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I like a really I just really enjoyed the book. It was so much fun. Uh, it hits a lot of my interest areas. Uh, I love the format of oral history. I think it's such a good way to tell a complicated story with a lot of characters in it. Uh, from different perspectives. And also I have at various times said that Richard Linklater is my favorite director. So it's just, it's perfect. It's just amazing. So. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I mean, I love oral histories too. I feel like there's, um, you know, in so many art books, you hear this, um, what sounds like a narrative of this, like one single genius who realized his vision. And so often it's more complicated mm. than that. You know, people are kind of feeding each other's creativity. And even though it's mostly one person's vision or it might be mostly one person's vision, um, you know, it, it, this creativity kind of feeds each other. The crew feeds the actors, feed the director, feed the producer, you know, it just is kind of this um, cross pollinating system. So I really like hearing from everybody in an oral history format for that reason. Definitely. And, you know, this movie is such an ensemble movie anyway that I feel like it almost had to have that format just to get all the various perspectives, you know, <laughs> included. Yeah, and, it, so. and an oral history kind of feels like the format of a Linklater movie, mm. right? It's like everyone's kind of talking over each other or contradicting each other. I mean, I think it kind of has some of the th same things I love about dialogue in a Linklater movie are the things I love about oral histories, too. Right, right. Um, but what drew you to this subject initially? Um, when did you first encounter this movie? Is this your favorite movie? Well, it's definitely the movie I have seen the most in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like you, I loved Richard Linklater, um, have loved Richard Linklater since I was a kid. Um, I saw it in the theater. I was, um, I think, going into my sophomore year of high school, which in Oregon, where I grew up, um, was my first year of high school. There's no freshman year at mm. my high school. So um, I saw it right in the fall of my first year of high school. So it was kind of the perfect time to go see it. And I always tell people it didn't feel like a movie about the past to me, even though it was set in the 70s and I saw mm -hmm. it in the 90s. Um, it kind of felt like this is going to be your future in the next couple of years. You know, this is what high school is going to be like. It's going to mm -hmm. be about partying with older kids, you know, driving around in a car, listening to great music. Um, it made me excited. Like I felt like it was, um, you know, going to be this great time. And it's only now as an adult that I watched the movie and I realized, how much sadder um, it is than I had originally thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I have three kids now, so I see everything from the parents' perspective in every movie now. I can't help but yes. put myself in that role. Whereas when, before I was a father, it's just like, I would always see myself in the kid 
role. You know what I mean? It's like now I can't help but sympathize with the with the parent roles in in any given situation. So. Absolutely. I mean, you watch The Breakfast Club, and I'm like, you know, the teacher's a jerk, but he's kind of right sometimes. Exactly. You, know? you hate to be that way, but you know, you kind of become that person. I know. What do you want your kids doing? Screaming and breaking windows with their with their voice after they smoke the marijuana cigarette? Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I I like I like I mentioned I, I love Richard Linklater, and I think he captures so much uh, you know, about that time period. And, you know, I grew up in Southern Indiana in a small town and, uh, it, this felt very relevant to my life as far as like what, you know, cause you see these, uh, kids in the movie, like doing like the paddling and like the, the, the hazing rituals. And you're like, how did anyone get away with this? And like the teachers like smirking about it. And it's like, <laughs> but, wow. but I mean, that, that kind of stuff, I can remember there was a senior parade. I participated in it in senior high school where we'd go around town and the police would lead it. And we'd like throw stuff out the side of the trucks at people's, we take out people's mailboxes and wow, uh, yeah, it was wild. And like, you know, people would have farm equipment. They drive down the street that you wouldn't normally be able to and it would, there was no permit or anything like and people property damage left and right and wow. <laughs> all this yeah. kind of stuff and <laughs> you know it's interesting like this is the thing about the book it's like the more specific it gets the more universal it feels you know a lot of people would tell me that the one thing the only thing they couldn't really relate to was the paddling mm. and what's weird to me is that you know when I went back and talked to Linklater's friends at Huntsville that that was very specific to their yeah. experience of this was happening and then once I tell people that they often say oh well there was this thing I had at school but it mm -hmm. wasn't paddling you know everyone's kind of got their version of what that was yeah yeah absolutely totally um but just going back to the oral history format um logistically you know you've, you've been a journalist for some time this is your first book though and it's in an you know oral history requires a lot of you know transcription I'm sure and also keeping yeah story straight and what people have told you and, and comparing that to the other just logistically for you on this project how did you manage that workload yeah so i started writing the book from the very beginning mm. so um you know i think the first interview i did was um yes, an interesting thing was with um the unit publicist on the movie mm. and i i didn't even plan on interviewing him i just planned on um you know seeing if he had some documents left over from that time that i could start with for research and this guy who actually lived in the hotel with the actors and partied with the actors um, might have given me the best framework for all the things I wanted to follow up with. He just remembered everything and everything he told me checked out. Um, so I had a three hour interview with him and I kind of blocked out his interview into some of the themes I thought would be important going forward. Those themes changed over time, but I kind of put them into categories. Um, and did that from the very beginning. And then every interview I did after that, I took out the quotes I thought would be important and blocked them into similar categories or made you know, new categories and just kind of went from there. I don't think I would have been able to write this book if I'd waited till the end and mm. had gone, because I had so many interviews. I mean, mm -hmm. I had, you know, it was 150 people, but I think I interviewed every person or most of those people two or three times. Wow, okay. Um, so it was a lot of interviews. Yeah. So I think um, that was part of it. And then also I used a service called Rev to transcribe my interviews. Okay. And it was helpful to be able to go back and search those interviews for certain terms. Yes, I can imagine. Okay, that's that's good to know. Yeah, no, I've, 
I think my least favorite part, or at least the most difficult, challenging part of being a journalist for me is, is the transcribing interviews. So I would love to yeah. find some kind of uh, workaround for that. I, I've tried Otter, I think is one of them. And then okay. it's okay. I mean, and I think Google Voice does text-to-speech or maybe there's like, I don't know something, but I, I, I need to research that further because that is, uh, I find that arduous sometimes. <laughs> but, yeah, they um, haven't really perfected, like mm. a rev uses actual humans to transcribe. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I, there I you go. That's why I trusted yep. it or why I trusted it for this book. Okay. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds right. Um, so how did you, so you said you interviewed these people two or three times because you do have people responding to the quotes that other people gave you. So I'm assuming you would talk to somebody, they'd say something about another person on the movie. You would go back to that person on the movie, get the reaction to put next to the uh, initial statement. Right. I mean, you, you kind of had to do a bunch of follow-ups I imagine. Yeah. So I didn't, mostly it was more conversational than it seems. I mean, I put a note in the beginning of the book saying, you know, oral, oral histories kind of seem like you're all at the bar together talking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's not actually how it is. So sometimes I would just kind of tell someone generally what had been said about something and they would respond. Mm -hmm. But if there was something specific to that person, like with Ben Affleck, you know, I would, I would say, you know, this person said this about you in this specific scene, how do you respond to this? I would literally read the quote um, and then he would respond. So there are a couple instances where I felt like if it had to do with, you know, something negative said about somebody or something to do with drinking or drugs, I felt like it was fair to tell that person exactly what had been said about them and they would respond. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, and you, I mean, you got pretty much everyone here. It's pretty amazing how uh, the breadth of, of the people you spoke with and you had the co cooperation of Richard Linklater, which I think was essential for the book. I don't know how you yeah. do this without it. You um, no. Uh, and you pretty much got everyone who was available except for Sean Andrews and Mia Jovovich for reasons that become obvious later in the book. Um, yeah. but, and Jason uh, O'Smith, yes, who's okay. the, the one person I'm really, uh, I don't know, I feel really bad that I was never able to contact him. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask if there had been any, any updates since the book had been published on any of those, but it doesn't sound like it may be. So, you so. know, it is, it is so strange. I tried so hard with him. I went to, um, but you know, there's a Facebook page for his high school. Mm. I posted there asking if anyone who had graduated it, for his class, actually, specifically his class at his wow. high school. Um, so I posted there asking if anybody had heard from him. No one had heard from him on that Facebook site. People have actually followed up with me through that Facebook site, asking if I was able to track him down. I contacted his family. I've contacted um, all sorts of people. You know, his brother did get in touch with me um, after the book came out and said that he he had lost touch with him. He doesn't know where he is either. Mm -hmm. um, so, but, you know, I have not been able to find an obituary for him. I'm hoping that he is somewhere living his best life and just has not gotten back to me. But he's the real person that I, I his voice is missing in this mm -hmm. book. Yeah, but I, yeah, no, I, I read it after I got done with the book. I was like, well, I think she did pretty much everything she could do to, to get yeah. all the voices. I don't feel like you left any stones unturned. Um, but uh, yeah, you have some pretty big interviews with people that are, you know, weren't big then, but are big now. Uh, you know, Ben Affleck, future president McConaughey. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> uh, so who, who was the hardest and the easiest, uh, interviews to get, uh, I'm sure once you had yeah. Richard Linklater's cooperation that opened a few doors, I imagine. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, both directly and indirectly with Linklater, I think that people, 
you know, he's such a, um, this is like a regular person. That's a, not a great way to describe Yeah. No, I heard his, uh, I heard his WTF interview and I was like, yeah. this guy seems like he, like, he's nothing like I would picture. It was like this. I, I thought he would be like this, like dark poet or auteur, but it's like, he seems like just a regular dude. Like he doesn't yeah. seem like pretentious at all. So. Yeah. I mean, and I think that people, the reason why I got as many interviews that I did um, of, of the people who are bigger stars um, is just that they have such good feelings about him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I got Ben Affleck, I think, because he told me that Dazed and Confused was the most profound creative experience of his career and said that it, you know, it influenced him writing Goodwill Hunting and mm. um, it influenced him wanting to become a director and winning an Oscar for Argo. So he still, obviously, this movie holds a huge place um in his mind and I think that's why he wanted to talk to me he did agree very early on to be interviewed for this book and then it took him a year to actually answer the phone when I called (laughs) right (laughs) and Renee Zellweger had already told me no that she wouldn't do it um and then at the very last minute um through a different contact I was able to get her to change her mind and I'm glad that um that she agreed yeah yeah, definitely. Um, now this isn't like meant to be a quiz or whatever, so don't, don't be nervous, but I did go back and I tried to fill in all my missing parts of the Richard Linklater filmography. So I was going to yes. go, <laughs> go through that real quick. Um, yeah. so starting at the beginning, 1988, it's impossible to learn to plow by reading books. It's on yeah. YouTube. It's on YouTube. I have not seen it yet. Uh, I, I saw, I started watching a little bit of it. It seems it r- reminds me a lot of slacker, uh, from what yeah. I saw. Um, did you see that? one yes okay right yeah yeah. what's great about that movie and other this is not my idea Uh, his friends have told me this too Mm -hmm. is that you watch it and you see him becoming a filmmaker you Mm -hmm. know he's not someone who went to film school Mm -hmm. he got interested in film fairly late in life compared to some other directors Mm -hmm. Um, I mean late in life meaning like in his 20s you know but a lot of people have already you know found their favorite directors and really delved deep into film by then and Mm -hmm. um, he did not and you really see him in that movie um, teaching himself how to be a filmmaker. You know, he's in it. He filmed it. He ran audio. People have told me that um, I, I haven't noticed this myself, but that there's some scenes where you can actually see the audio equipment in the frame because he's recording himself as he's shooting it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of an amazing document just showing, you know, um, that you can see this context of how he taught himself to become a filmmaker when he was young and in Austin. Mm -hmm. And you can also see a certain amount of the plotlessness Mm -hmm. um, to his films come from there. You can see that in Slacker. You can definitely see that in Dazed um, to a lesser degree. Um, But I think watching that movie, you can kind of see where he's going with his career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. 1990 slacker I had not seen before I started reading your book so I did have to go back and watch that which I thought it was great I hadn't hadn't seen it before uh, but I thought it was really really good and uh, I read Pat Oswalt's review of your book in the New York Times book review and I think that he said something really good in that it's like there's some conversations in this movie that I thought were profound 20 years ago that I think are ridiculous now and some things I dismiss that I find profound now and I'm sure it'll be different if I watch it again and I can totally feel that. Uh, yes. Just listening to like that one guy that follows the person home and talks about 
global warming and the and the billionaires yes. are trying to get off the planet. I'm like, oh, that's what's happening. Elon Musk, he's trying that's to go to Mars. That's the first one I thought of. <laughs> yeah, exactly, but like, that's the one that feels the most relevant. And that guy, everybody tells me they're like, in real life, that guy was crazy. Oh, like, I'm he, sure. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> like he had all these crackpot theories. And yeah. it turns out some of those crackpot theories aren't so crackpot. <laughs> I know, right? I was like, oh, yeah. he's talking about 30 years later. Um, but then, of course, uh, we got Dazed and Confused, 93, uh, 95 before sunrise. I've seen that a long time ago. I loved it. thought it was great um 96 suburbia i did i have not seen have you seen that one yes i have okay. all right i heard it's, it's very uh clerks like oh interesting you know it's i can't funny. remember where i heard that but <laughs> well it's funny you know um i interviewed kevin smith for this mm -hmm. book he very much says that richard linklater was a huge influence on him um but i, I guess i could see some cross-pollinating between mm -hmm. the two of them yeah um, it's eric bogosian right so it's like uh -huh. It's got its own, um, its own kind of dialogue, but you can also feel, um, you know, link. It, it's a very link later film too. I mean, it's great. I haven't seen it in a long time, right? Um, but it feels very much of that era to me. Uh huh. Yeah, totally. Um, now the Newton Boys '98. I believe I saw it on HBO twenty years ago, but I couldn't tell you a thing about it other than I saw it. But yes. um, <laughs> 2000 yeah 2001 waking life that's my second favorite movie ever yes. i love it blew me away yeah. i saw it 2001 was my first year of college you can imagine you know blew my mind uh i love the yeah. rotoscope style uh yes. i i could not be a movie critic on any movie that features that style because i'm already 51 percent on board with any movie that uses that style and <laughs> so I, i'm not an objective observer but i absolutely love that movie get something new out of it every time out of it so have you seen the tv show undone mm -mm, no um it's rotoscoped it's um mm. tommy matola's involved with it who was involved with slacker oh um i, I think you might like that if you're oh. already kind of yep. um, in the zone for that oh, i am I'm writing that down yeah. undone um tape i didn't see uh, did the you tape is great. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Tape to me just kind of embodies how much Richard Linklater can do with extremely little. You know, you've mm. got um, it all kind of takes place in one place. Um, it's such a, you know, there's only a couple of people in the whole film and yet it is riveting. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I, it's funny. I asked him once thinking of tape, I asked him once, you know, do you ever want to go back and do really small movies? And he was kind of got mad and he was like, I'm always doing kind of small movies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like not small, but like, you know, trying to, to maintain this independent spirit, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, okay, 2003, School of Rock. I love that movie. Uh, Mike, White, Mike White wrote that movie. I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, did you see White, White, White Lotus? I did. I mean, oh. I love him. I think oh, man, that was so good. The Dog, I think, is a very underrated Mike White movie. I mean, I love Chuck and Buck. I mean, I just think that he is a fantastic... If, I, if he has written something, I will see it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, 2004 before sunset. I thought that was great too. Um, very worthy follow-up. Yeah. Uh, okay. 2005 bad news bears. I hated that movie. I re I watched it for the first time in preparation of this. It did not age very well at all. <laughs> very of its time. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Richard Linklater. For I did not like it. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, for a movie that's a more, um, what, what I would think of as a more mainstream choice for him, mm -hmm. I still, it still feels personal to me for him because, you know, he grew up playing baseball. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, 100%. Era and he really, he even talks about how baseball has, 
influenced um, his career that he kind of approaches mm -hmm. directing like a coach and that, you know, making these ensembles feel like they're making decisions, even though, you know, the ultimate decision creatively is his. Um, and people have talked about how his career is kind of a long game like baseball is, that it's mm. not about, you know, having, um, you know, a win every single time. It's about being able to develop over the course of a career, a slower game kind of, um, mm. but, with, but with still grand aims. So I think it makes sense to me that he chose that, that if he was going to make a more mainstream choice, that that's the movie he cho chose. Oh, sure. And yeah, I get it. You know, I totally understand why you said yes to that. Obviously, baseball is a huge theme in his career, even in Dazed, of yeah. course. Um, yeah. Yeah. But 2006, Scanner Darkly. I love it. You already know. Um, I love but it too. <laughs> yeah. it's, you so know, it's funny. Um, Rory Cochran was like, you know, I worked for Linklater and Dazed and Confused. Like, keep hoping you bring me back. It's like, brings me back. And I'm still a drug addict. I know, right? <laughs> Nothing's changed in the in their intervening 15 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's so great, right? It's like, if anyone can do Philip K. Dick, I feel like oh, that's a, a perfect. I know. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fast food nation. I saw, I thought it was pretty good. It wasn't, I've read the book too. I thought, yeah, I thought yeah. it was worthy. Um, yeah. did not see 2008 inning by inning or being Orson Welles. I did not see either of those. Oh, but. you know, inning by inning, I would, re well, they're both good, obviously, mm -hmm. but, um, inning by inning, I think is really interesting because it's, you can see again, um, stuff about baseball. And again, mm -hmm. you know, with these themes in Richard Leclater's life, but you can also see, um, you know, the influence of him on a filmmaker as a filmmaker, I would definitely recommend that. I think it's okay. Really yeah all right all right um okay 2011 bernie i love that movie so good <laughs> bernie is my favorite jack black movie i think oh, he is indeed incredible in it oh, yeah. i know love lifted and mcconaughey's mom what mcconaughey's mom is in it where who she is one of the people that they you know there's all those towns the townsfolk she's one of the townsfolk she's one of the townsfolk she is a character look her up she is a character wow. uh in her own right. <laughs> do you know? Do you know which one she is? Like what? Line I can she tell you what she looks like, but I can't remember what. Okay, her that's okay. I'll look it up. Yeah. That's fascinating, though. Yeah. Um. Ooh. Okay. Twenty thirteen. Before midnight. I don't. I don't think I cared for that one that much. I think that was one movie too many in that in that series. I feel like we could have left it with the second one and then i don't need to see them fighting it as a married couple it's okay <laughs> like i don't need to see it's definitely more of a bummer of a movie right oh, i know right let's walk around a town and talk about stuff all right um 2014 boyhood i mean what can you say a technical achievement on every level um yeah. you're just blown away um yeah. you know but, what i love about that movie mm. um i love that you keep thinking he kind of keeps making you think that something terrible is going to happen to mm. the kids and yeah. nothing ever does. And I think mm -hmm. that's kind of the experience of being a parent, right? It's just mm. this constant paranoia that like, you know, there's a gun in that garage and that kid is going to end up having an accident with this gun or one of his right. friends. And, um, and it never really happens. Um, and I, I love that element to it. Yeah, that's a good point. I haven't seen it since it first came out, but maybe I should go back and check it out. It was like three hours long too. I don't yeah. know. The older I get, 90 minutes. <laughs> One movie, 90 minute movie. Um, sure. Anyway, <laughs> 2016, Everybody Wants Some. I thought it was a good, uh, it was almost like a sequel to Dazed in some ways, yes, I thought. Definitely. Um, yeah. Not directly, of course, but in spirit, Spiritual I thought. Spiritual sequel. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Speaking of which, 2017, Last Flag Flying. Uh, I had not seen The Last Detail, but I did go back and watch that. 
uh-huh. before oh, yeah. this. So I yeah. thought that was a really good movie. I hadn't, yeah. I have yet to see Last Flag Flying yet, but I know it's streaming on Amazon, I think right now. So I need to go check that out. Yeah, great cast, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Where'd you go, Bernadette? I saw that and I didn't even realize it was Linklater. I just thought, it, I, oh, this is a weird, cool movie. I didn't even realize that was Richard Linklater when I went and saw it, but it was really good. So, yeah, have you read the book? Mm-mm. No, my wife has actually. So, yeah, it's but, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and then I just saw, for preparing for this, the Apollo 10 and a half, the Space Age Childhood. Did you see that? You know, this is the only one I haven't seen. Um, and it's because I'm waiting to watch it with my son. Okay, how old is, is your son? Eight. Okay, he's probably getting close to because uh, my son yeah. just just turned eight, and I was debating on whether or not to show it to him, or whether I should hold off because it is a lot. I think the kids maybe like ten or eleven, maybe in the. He's a little yeah. older than eight, but it's. I think it's still relevant, and it's it's once again rotoscoped. I'm all the way in uh, visually, and Jack Black does the narration too, um, so that's that's another point in its favor. And also, I found yeah. out that I, I didn't know this before. His mom. Do you know about his mom? Jack Black's mom? Yeah. No. She worked on the Apollo missions and she was one of the people that was responsible for getting the Apollo 13 astronauts back from their mishaps in space. I did not know that. That's incredible. So yeah, I think I'm sure that probably had some bearing on him being involved in that. Obviously we with Bernie and stuff too, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, really, really you know, good. Movie. What's interesting about Apollo 10 and a half is I think a lot of people don't realize how, again, like really personal subject matter for Linklater that before he was in Huntsville, he was in Houston mm-hmm. and NASA was really, you know, part of this culture. And he said it really felt like, you know, living in the future when he was mm-hmm. young, but it was just, you know, people always kind of talking about the space age. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so it makes sense to me that, um, again, that that comes back in his subject matter. Definitely. Well, uh, thank you for going through that. I, I, I've just spent so yeah. much time watching these movies. I had to talk about them with somebody. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <Like your> audience. <laughs> for sure. Um, so anyway, going back to days, just the casting in this movie is amazing, which I think from reading your book is mostly a credit to Don Phillips. Um, yeah. It definitely explains how some of these actors were also paired up again in, in future movies, you mentioned Kevin Smith, of course, Small Rats. I'd say at least yeah. a half a dozen people from that movie are mm-hmm. also in this one. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We've got McConaughey and, and Renee Zellweger for, for that sequel. one, too. The sequel, yes. Oh, right, right, right. Um, but it's just it's just amazing how they were able to find these people that would be like, you know, Renee Zellweger doesn't even have a, a line in this movie, right? right. She's just a background yeah. character. So That's I mean, right. <laughs> they've just got talent, you know, coming out the ears. They don't even know what to do with these people. So yeah. it's, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> um, now, okay. So you have a, a whole chapter on this, which I'm glad you do uh, of the namesake of this book. Uh, all right, all right, all right. Uh, and I, I think it's hilarious to me that, um, <laughs> that McConaughey is like the one man, uh, marketing department for this phrase, as you yes. put it, because uh, he seemed because I went and it's funny, I went and watched a couple interviews with him after I read the book and he tells like the identical story he has yes. in your book just again and again, he's got this down. It's, it's like, it's like one of his scripts or whatever he just runs through. Uh, and it's funny. Cause I even know which doors song he's referring to. Cause I was re- also reading an oral history of the doors uh, with uh, Ben Fong Torres that did. Oh yeah, um, sure. And uh, yeah, I, I went back and was listening to some 
doors and i i heard that uh roadhouse blues song where he's like all right all right all right so i, I knew yeah. exactly which one but i don't know how much of that uh is him reconstructing that yes it, it's it's like it's it's a nice story but it's like it's so perfect like is that is that really what you were thinking that day like like or did... exactly <laughs> I yeah know. well you know and it, it's funny because at first i was a little bit bummed that i'm like oh he's just giving me the same story that he gives uh-huh. over and over again but then i kind of thought that's perfect right yeah. it's, that's what he is like you know like you were saying he's like this one-man marketing machine yeah this phrase and he is the reason why it's become in a, in a movie full of quotable uh-huh. phrases that that is the one phrase that's most memorable. It's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, all right, all right, is more than, you know, any of the other quotable phrases. And it's because of McConaughey. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because this, it feels like an origin story to him, that this was the start of his career or was the start of, you know, a through line um, with Don Phillips of getting him into the industry. So I understand why it's important to him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's funny that Doris thing, he was telling me this story and it was almost like he'd forgot about that. And then I brought up the doors and he was like, oh yeah, it was the doors. <laughs> sure, sure. So it was. You, you know, it's just become so um, crystallized in his head that he's just, it's become, you know, this mythology that he's perpetuating. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's funny, someone else sent me an Austin City Limits performance of w- Willie Nelson way back in the day hmm. um, that ends with him saying, all right, all right, all right. So it might've oh. just been something that was in the ether. It might not have been, quite as calculated as McConaughey says that he was thinking this and inspired by this it might just have been something that people said around that time yeah exactly yeah. Um, but for him it's a story sure 100 percent. and his character is so I mean if if you if you know my daughters were near that guy I'd tell him to go across the street to the other side of the street I wouldn't but right. he's so endearing in this movie yeah. and even his most creepiest you know his his other catchphrase about you know i just get you know I, they just say the same age and all that kind of stuff that's a super creepy thing to say but he's so uh, he's just endearing and charming that he just overcomes that creepiness somehow and he totally steals every scene he's in you know <laughs> so yeah and you know even if he like i think for a lot of people he doesn't overcome that creepiness oh, really? like they, they they watch this movie and they are uh totally disgusted by that guy huh. and I think that's okay too because I think the important thing is that you recognize that guy mm. you know I think a lot of people had a Wooderson at their high school a lot of people had a lot of those characters at their high school definitely yeah. a Slater everyone tells me they had a Slater at their high school um, <laughs> so I think that's the great thing about a lot of Linklater's movies is that he doesn't moralize about these characters he just kind of lets you feel about these characters how you're going to feel and that's hard to do in a movie movie about young people because so often now you have to have a message about is this character good or is this character bad you know mm. people are afraid to let their kids watch stuff where they're going to come to their own conclusions mm-hmm. definitely um speaking of creepiness the chapter i found most jaw-dropping was the we were all hormonal chapter about all yeah. the hookups uh, yeah. just just to run down a few of it we've got <laughs> uh, we mentioned mila jovovich and sean andrews she was yeah. underage their marriage was annulled months after the movie uh, Jason Lee is the adult guardian of Marissa Rubisi and her mother yeah. is his manager. Uh, Christian, I don't know how to say her name. Hano. There you go. And then what was the second one? Kirk, Kirkskin, the bomb. Uh, oh, yes. is, is pursued at 16 by 26 year old pretending to be 22 Shasha Jensen. So, yes. um, you know, 
the I, you know, the seventies were a different time. The nineties were also a different time. You know? Or <laughs> like, were they? I mean, or were they? Yeah, or were they? Sure. As it ever was, as they say in the movie, you know, yep. it's like the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I haven't talked to Mila, so I, I can't say anything from her perspective. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as I know, from um, what other people have told me in those relationships, like even Kristen, you know, she's like, it was uncool that Sasha lied to me about how old he was, but, you know, it was mostly a pretty sweet, innocent thing Mm -hmm. and I feel okay about it. So um, I was, I'm glad that's the case because you hear those things or you you even read that on paper and immediately I just feel sad to my bones, but um, they feel okay about it. Okay. Well, that's fine. As long as they feel okay. Um, But uh, I'm glad you had such a focus on the soundtrack in the book because it is just a rock solid soundtrack. Uh, In that way, it reminds me of another of my favorite movies, Boogie Nights, uh, just so essential. Uh, I'm just horrified to hear that they wanted to have this band Jackal record a song or maybe include some random bendy guitar notes like that would have ruined the movie. Like it would have totally taken everything down several notches so well and you know like i kind of feel i talked to the guy from jackal and i kind of feel bad for the band man because i don't even think it was their idea i mm-hmm. think the record is that was like okay we can use this movie to promote this band that we need to promote so let's just get them to do this you, you forget how much mtv was a factor in promoting movies back then like i i remember seeing so many videos that would have like a montage from a movie and that was the first time you kind of had any insight into whether or not you wanted to see that movie. I think of Wayne's World and Bohemian's Rap- Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, and, you know, the, the video for that, as it had been reconstructed with Queen footage and footage from Wayne's World. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was, you know, a really, I understand um, the idea of trying to get a new band to record an old song and help it promote the movie. But I think for, you know, both Richard Linklater and Jackal, it was not the best thing. Mm-hmm. And I also find it interesting that they didn't know how to market this movie um, just because it's so iconic now. And I I also think it's interesting that Richard Linklater tried to make an anti-nostalgia movie. And it's like, I would say one of the most nostalgic movies, like it makes me nostalgic and I wasn't even alive in the seventies. So it's like, like, (laughs) okay. I mean, I I guess because I, you know, I think I thought about it and I think it's because he shows both sides of it, the great, the good and the bad, you know, so he doesn't just do one. And so it's like, he's admitting the parts that were difficult so you can enjoy the parts that are good. You know what I mean? So it's it's kind of a trade off. And, you know, it's like Kevin Smith said about this, you know, that's the thing. You can't choose what you want people to get from the movie. Like they're just going to get what they're going to get um, and they're going to bring their own experience to it. So I think what he does is, again, it's about like him not moralizing. He's just showing a scene. And if you had a good time in high school, you're going to think that's a nostalgic scene. And if you had a bad time in high school, you're going to think it's a gritty portrayal. You know, um, I mean, anyone who had trouble with bullies is going to watch those bully scenes and think, you know this can't be a nostalgic movie because i remember being bullied and i'm Mm -hmm. never gonna look back and think those times were great yeah um so i think it's you know a lot of people are very nostalgic about it but i I think there's still you know definite ways to watch this movie and think that it is an anti-nostalgia movie i mean you have characters literally telling you the 70s suck <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I don't know. It looks pretty cool from here, but okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but I'm so glad that the sequel and the series never happened. That would have not been great. I think we just yeah. well well enough alone. You know, don't need to do any more to it. Kind of glad that's all. How apart. crazy is that, right? I know. And it's funny this whole thing that some people are convinced that that '70s show was right. know, TV's version of not being able to get Linklater's permission to do Dazed and Confused on TV. Um, although the creator of uh, that '70s show, one of the creators of that '70s show, says that that's not true. That that '70s show was based on his own experience. Mm -hmm. But again, that tells you something about the same way that Dazed gets more specific and becomes more universal. It's the same for that '70s show, right? It's mm -hmm. like this guy says it was his experience, and other people say it was Richard Linklater's. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. What is next for you uh, writing wise? Would you do another oral history or are you moving on to other types of writing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought about doing another oral history. I might still do one in the future, but right now I'm writing a novel. Um, cool. Yeah, it might be too early to say what it's about okay. until it actually becomes a real thing, but <laughs> that's fine. I'm say, trying. Say less, yeah. that's fine. I'll, <laughs> I'll read it when it comes out. That's great. Um, cool, cool. Well, hey, thank you for taking all this time again. I really enjoyed the book. Everyone should read it if you're even a passing, uh, just if you're interested in movies, I think just how movies get made. I think it's a good book. Um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, so the last question I always ask before we go, what music have you been listening to lately? Oh, you know who I love and listen to over and over again is this guy, Christian Lee Hudson. Do you mm -mm. know him? Mm -mm. So he is what I would say is if you imagine a Raymond Carver short story set to music by Elliot Smith. Wow. Okay. Um, and I just, his lyrics are incredible to me. Um, and the music is great. Um, he, he plays with Phoebe Bridger sometimes. So okay. that puts you in a certain context, but, um, that's the record I've been listening to a lot lately. Tell, tell me yours. I always want to listen to new stuff. Oh, well, seeing this movie got me listening to uh, Dr. John. So I don't know if I'm like oh, yeah. the, 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 the new music king over here. And no, besides, hey, Dr. John's a great answer. <laughs> besides that, I have three kids. So uh, Lori Berkner and Raffi is what I've been listening to yes. mostly. <laughs> that's 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 my musical diet around my house. Um, oh, I feel you. I think <laughs> the Frozen soundtrack was my number uh -huh. one on Spotify. So yeah, I'm and, right there with you. Encanto, in, in uh, Frozen. Yes. Uh, yeah, all that stuff. So cool. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, thank you so much again. And please come back sometime and, and we'll talk about whatever you want. And uh, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. So that'd be great. Thank you so much for having me on. Cool. Have a good rest of your morning here. You too. Bye-bye. Right. Bye.
Join the Rob Burgess Show mailing list. Go to tinyletter.com forward slash the Rob Burgess Show and type in your email address. Then respond to the automatic message. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available, including iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, RSS, and now Spotify. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. If you have something to say, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to therobburgessshow at gmail.com. Include voice memo in the subject line of the email. Also, if you want to call or text the show for any reason, the number is 317-674-3547. Until next time.